Good morning. Hi. I'm uh, glad to be this morning. My name is Gary Ritchie, and I'm the pastor of New Hope Christian Community in Round Lake, Illinois. I've actually known uh, Pastor Dan and Pastor Rich for quite a long time, more than a decade. Uh, Rich and I were together on a church planting team about 13 years ago, and I uh, enjoyed serving with him. So every time I see him, I imagine him in this robe. We, uh, we were doing the announcements one time at our first one of our first services at Northbridge Church in Antioch, and uh, Rich and I were both finishing up seminary, and Rich really wanted to use his Hebrew, and uh, so he came out dressed as a shepherd, and he came up and he did this Hebrew greeting to a church full of people who weren't even Christians, and he would he's like, So I got up after Rich and I said, Not sure what that means in Hebrew, because Rich paid attention to class, I didn't, but uh, he's been a good friend of mine for a number of years, and uh, uh, Pastor Dan has been someone who uh, does a lot of coaching and encouraging of young church planters, and that's what I am. Uh, we started our church about three and a half years ago in Round Lake, started with a little team of about 25, and God has worked. He's done that thing that God does. And uh, he's grown our church. Uh, we just moved into a facility. We rebuilt an old furniture store. And we're now a group of about 250, about 100 of those people who were baptized and came to Christ at our church at New Hope. So very, very good stuff about you. I, uh, I will tell you that I'm, I'm a little used to something different. Our church, our, our town's very uh, ethnically diverse. Our church is about half, half Hispanic. And so people normally uh, yell stuff to me during the sermon. So, if you don't like what you're hearing today, feel free to yell that out. You know, if you like it, you can kind of encourage, preach that. You can do that. I'm okay with it. I won't react, you know. I like that kind of stuff. So, if you want to get a little loud, this is the second service. I think these the people who slept in, right? So, I'm guessing you were out last night, you know, so bring it a little bit. I don't, our second service is the same way. The party people in the second service. Is that true here at Spring Rock as well? But I'd say I'm a little surprised when I say I'm the pastor or something. I, I, not who I grew up, thought I was be. I, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents were kind of nominally Catholic. Uh, when I was nine years old, my, my mother passed away. She had cancer when I was nine. My family stopped going to church. My dad remarried a woman from a Jewish background. Uh, she had two girls. My dad had two boys. And our house was a battleground. That was the, the furthest thing from the Brady Bunch, the anti-Brady Bunch. You could be. That's what we were. And uh, I reacted to that by being a guy who just got into anything I could to make myself feel better for five minutes. Um, all kinds of trouble, all kinds of stuff. And uh, if you had asked me if I believed in God, I would have said, sure, but he had nothing to do with my life. I went away to college at uh, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. And one day I'm walking along in my college dorm, and I see a sign on the wall that says, Open Forum on Christianity. Come and ask any question." Well, I had known two uh, Christians in high school, and honestly, I thought they were the biggest dweebs on the planet. There was no way I would ever go to the open forum on Christianity, because obviously I'm not a dweeb. Can't you tell? So, but there were, on the sign, on the bottom, there were these two words that spoke to me. It was the first sign in my life that God understood me, that he wanted me he me. Those two words were free pizza. 
I never had a healthy relationship with a woman. I know what you're thinking. You're so good looking, but really. And God allowed me to build that the first time, and I married that girl. And God gave me a purpose and a reason for life. He called me into his service. He's good. Our God is so good, isn't he? Isn't that what he does? Come on now. Well, I get the pleasure of kicking off a new series with you today. It's called God of the Movies. I got to tell you, this was kind of fun for me. I got a call from Pastor Dan a few weeks back and said, I'd love to have you come teach at Springbrook. And I was like, yes, that would be really fun. I said, I've heard all these good things about Springbrook for years. I'd love to come see it. I have no idea where Huntley is. This is exciting. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm like, he wants me to do something really significant up there. I'm like, you want me? What do you want me to do? I'm something good. I'm thinking Bible passages is like, Iron Man 3. <laughs> what? Iron Man 3, we're doing God at the movies. And I was like, this is awesome. I get to go to the movies in the middle of the day and call it work. <laughs> Without my children. <laughs> but I, I tell you, I was excited because I know how powerful movies are, and I'm sure you do too. You know, that they use the music. You know, you even heard it in that little clip, you know, the dun-dun-dun-dun, you're like, this is important! Whatever's on the screen is very important right now. Dun-dun-dun! Right? Movies present a worldview, a way to interact with those around, to think about big ideas. And behind every movie, every good movie at least, there's a worldview. And the same is true of movies you're going to be doing in this series, and the same is true of Iron Man. I actually grew up kind of a big Iron Man fan. I had the comic like back in the 70s, and I really liked Iron Man because he was this two-sided thing. On one hand, he was an awesome superhero, right? Iron Man wears a suit, you know, a metal suit that allows him to fly. He's got repulsor rays. How awesome would that be? I don't know your name in the green over there, but I can just go, done. Do you like her? I can try, you know. I don't know. Nothing can harm him. He can get hit by a missile and get back up. Awesome, right? Fly into space, do whatever he wants. He's super rich. He's an incredible genius. Iron Man, awesome. But who's inside the suit? Tony Stark. And Tony Stark has got problems. Tony Stark has got mental problems. He can't have healthy relationships. Tony Stark has physical problems. His heart's always going out on him all the time. He's kind of an egomaniac. He's got all kinds of issues. So here's this incredibly hard, invulnerable Iron Man with this incredibly soft, vulnerable Tony Stark inside. That's the Iron Man story. They've done pretty well with the movies, haven't they? This is the third installment. Who's seen the, who's seen the third one yet? Few of you, okay. They've already done over $450 million on the third one. The series is well over a billion dollars. Okay. Oh, by the way, if you brought a friend today, you get free movie tickets. So I've got them. Where are they? I didn't put them in my bag to take home. I have free movie tickets at AMC, so if you brought a friend today, or you can think of some other reason why I should give you movie tickets, it's not my promotion, I don't care. Um, I didn't buy the tickets, they gave me a giveaway. I would like to give these away, I guess, is the point. So, if you brought a friend today, come up and see me. I got to do this first service. I felt like I was on Let's Make a Deal. It's fantastic. I'll give you movie tickets to take with you, okay? They're the gold ones, which you can use the first night. So, like that, right? Okay. Um, so, anyway, uh, Iron Man was, was kind of a hero of mine. I love the way it kind of worked together. And then this last one, I don't want to give away too much. Um, 
So he's going through something that most of us can relate to. Anxiety. You know, in most superhero movies, the guy, you know, he fights the bad guy, he defeats the whatever it is, and the world doesn't blow up, and then by the next time, even though it was super stressful, he's fine. But life doesn't really work like that, does it? When you go through a big storm, something traumatic, you know, Tony Stark saved the world from aliens attacking in Avengers. I don't know how many of you have done that before, but it's very stressful. Okay? He comes out of that, and you know what he has? He has panic attacks. He starts having anxiety. I grew up with some of my family that had panic attacks, and it would shut her down. I get a call. I'm at the mall, and I can't move. Come get me. Well, here's what Tony Stark is dealing with. He's dealing with fear and anxiety. There's this new supervillain named the Mandarin who's, who's been attacking the world. And he, one of the guys he gets is one of Tony's friends. He knocks Tony's friend into a coma. And Tony is scared for his friend. He's anxious about what's going on. He can't handle all the pressure. So what does he do? He starts to muscle up. He tries to take control. And be Iron Man says, you want to get hard with me? I'll get part with you. Take a look at this call. Here's a little holiday greeting I've been wanting to send as a member. My name is Tony Stark, and I'm not afraid of you. I know you're a coward, but I've decided that you just died, pal. There's no politics here, just good old fashioned revenge. There's no Pentagon, it's just you and me. The options are great. Here's one of the letters. 10, 8, 8, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 
I felt like the neighbor told me you help me find the car. He's like, you want something with bling, right? You want something? I got you, I got you, right? So he shows up, and I end up buying from Phil a 1982 Pontiac Firebird. This is like 1988, so it wasn't that old car. And had flip-up lights, one of those, with the black leather bra on the front. Have you ever seen those? I was a Guido, you seen Jersey Shore, okay, like where those guys came from. I'm like father of Guido or something. Had the slick back hair and the gold chains and got this a lot, you know. And uh, Phil was one of those dying guys who walked like this. Do you have those in Huntley? Yeah. <laughs> You have to like that. I just, I, I've never been to Huntley before. I was driving around. I was like, I haven't seen Firebird. I haven't seen Team Tops. You know, there's no tanning place. Something's going on. So I buy this car from Phil, and it's a piece of junk. You know, it runs for like a month and a half, and it makes this terrible noise. I think you're supposed to change oil, but anyway. Um, and so I said, Phil, what's the deal here? He goes, I'll get it. I'll take care of it because I need five hundred dollars cash. And like a moron, I give Phil five hundred dollars cash. I was a waiter at the Bob's Big Boys. It was all in singles. Here you go, Phil. And what does Phil do? Nothing, right? Takes off. Stops answering my phone calls. And now I'm mad. And I'm embarrassed. And my friends knew about this. And now I'm at, now I'm angry. Right? And what do I want to do? I want to talk back. This is me in my pre-Christian form. So my brother and I get our, get our aluminum baseball bats and we go to Phil's house. And by the time I got to Phil's house, I was so worked up. I had no other, I had no plan beyond bashing in Phil's head. There wasn't a, here's how we're going to get away with it, or here's how I'm going to reason with Phil. There was no repayment plan in my pocket. I didn't even want the money at that point. I wanted to stop being taken advantage of. And I said, I'm going to take care of this, Phil. And I remember being at his door. Me and you, and my brother. But here we go. <laughs> Thank God for me, and for Phil, I suppose, in their answer the door. I never caught up with him. I think about that a lot. About what happens to me, Phil answers that door, and I get a piece of Phil with my back. Maybe I spend the next 20 years in prison. Maybe I look at the memory of really hurting somebody or killing someone. Because revenge, on the back side, doesn't work out for anyone, does it? It's bad for you, it's bad for me, it's bad for everybody who's involved. But those of us who are Christ followers have a different pattern about what we're supposed to do with our anger and our fear and our anxiety. Because when we know Jesus, it changes everything about us. It transforms how we interact with the world. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He's talking to the Jews about the old law. These are Old Testament law quotes. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It's from the law. It says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, <coughs> turn them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them two miles. Jesus redefines the way we encounter evil. This quote from the Sermon on the Mount turns it upside down. The old way is to get even. And honestly, it was supposed to be fair. The idea of eye for an eye was don't overdo it. 
If someone gets you for ten bucks, get them back for ten bucks. It was supposed to be justice. But we're not just people. We're not fair. You take my eye, I'm taking your eye and your ear. And then what? And it escalates, doesn't it? You've been in one of those before, haven't you? It started with you. Maybe it happened in your marriage. Maybe it started with he didn't do the dishes. Well, he didn't do the dishes, so I'm not going to mow the lawn. Well, if I'm not going to mow the lawn, well, forget you think your mother's coming to stay. And you're in the cold war, the nuclear cold war of marriages. We're not fair people. We're not eye for an eye people. We're eye for a whole bunch more. My dad used to say, if somebody hits you, hit them back twice as hard. That's the rule of the street, isn't it? And you can almost hear Jesus anticipating their questions. He said, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. What? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, Jesus? These are Jews living under Roman oppression. Don't resist evil? No, 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 no. We're supposed to resist evil, right? You're supposed to be inciting us against this oppression. Didn't you read the Old Testament, Jesus? Whenever the Jews were encountering the hostile nations, what did they do? They went to war. They didn't buy lunch. They went to war. Come on, I cry, two for two, let's go. And Jesus says, no, 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 you can't do that. You're not fair people. He says, don't resist any old person. He goes, let me tell you something different. He goes, if anyone slaps you, turn them cheek. Don't just let them abuse you. Hey, well, I'm not going to respond. Something's changed in the game here. Now that Jesus has come, the rules have changed. He's making everything different. He's turning religion upside down. I have to imagine the people hearing this were incredulous. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Have you ever lived in the real world? Am I supposed to be a doormat? People want to take advantage of me all the time. That's ridiculous, Jesus. Are you kidding? We know Jesus that changes everything. And one of the big things that changes is who the enemy is. In the old world there, anyone who wasn't a Jew was an enemy. In the old world, if they weren't a Jew, let's go to war. Something's changed, hasn't it? When Christ comes, that changes. And the people who are outside Judaism have become something different. They become people who could know Jesus. People who could be added to the kingdom. This is not what the Apostle Paul runs this out in Romans chapter 12. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, but at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you've got to follow this out for a minute. Come back to verse 17. Do not pay anyone evil for evil. Same thing Jesus said, right? Don't get in the revenge business. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Look, in some ways, try to be someone who everyone wants to get along with. Try to have influence with everyone. Try to get along and have peace. Why? To stop short of revenge. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. 
Because number one, your revenge stinks compared to God's revenge. God is way better at revenge than you are. If you're worried about justice, if you're worried about some bad guy getting away with it, don't worry about it. At the end of the time, you're going to have to stand before God. So you can have your petty revenge. You can spread the rumor on Facebook about them. You can get them fired. But it's nothing compared to God's revenge. He's the one who handles this. If you remember back in Matthew 7, Jesus says, With the measure you use will be measured to you. He, had a, he anticipates this time when we're standing before God. And he says, When you stand before God, how do you want to be judged? Do you want God to show you mercy and grace? Or do you want him to hold the line on you and be tough and litigious? What do you want? Mercy, right? He goes, well, if you want that when God's facing you down, you should treat other people like that when you're facing them down. He says, look, don't take revenge. That's God's job. He's the judge. We're not the judge. But we think we are. Don't we? Don't we think of ourselves as the judge, as the ones who are righteous, who are the ones who are in God's place? I remember a number of years ago, I had four kids. They were a little more grown up now. Now this was 12. Her name was Grace. And Grace was and is a tornado of a child. She is bursting with energy at all times. It's like she's constantly just had a 40-ounce espresso. She must do stuff. She does cartwheels all over our house. She cooks now. She makes pancakes and uses 16 dishes. I don't know how she does it. It's just like a whirlwind. When she was five, I had her. She was five. Faith, my other daughter, was four. She was the exact opposite of Grace. Very calm. And then my little boy, James, with me today, was only about a year. And uh, we're in the garage playing around. I got a little ball playing with James. And a big wind gust comes and blows the ball down the street. And James, my ball, my ball, and the baby, I don't Which means my ball, my ball. And, uh, so I want to go get the ball, but it's like all the way down the street. I don't really like run or anything. So I'm going to take my bike, but I'm worried about the children. So I take James, and uh, you can judge me for this. There's a lot of junk in our garage. So I just kind of wedge him in amongst the junk. I'm like, you stay there. My four-year-old Faith, she doesn't go anywhere. She's going to play with the doll. She barely knows if I'm in the room or not. Leave her. And I looked at Grace, because I was scared. She just learned how to ride a bike. I'm like, Gracie, Daddy's going to ride his bike to go get the ball. Do not come after me. You are not allowed to ride on the street. It's too busy on our street. You need to go down the street. You stay right here. Yes, Dad. Get on the car, on my bike, and I ride down full speed, a lot of mass, going down the driveway, and I, what do I see out of the corner of my eye? Grace. On her little pink princess bike with the frilly stuff going, and she is just tearing into the street, not looking left, not looking right, trying to get hit by a bus, you know, just. And so I see her, and I just and I slam on the brakes. How many of you took high school physics? You know what inertia is, right? Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. So brakes stop bikes, not people. So my bike stops. I do not stop. 
I go flying off my bike, do a complete flip in the air, I land on my back on the concrete, and Grace comes and flies up like Susie Snowflake. Shh, are you okay, Dad? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not okay, Grace. What did Daddy tell you to do? I'm like, you could have been hit by a bus. We live on a coal sack, there are no buses, but still. I'm like, look, I told you not to do this. What are you doing? You just obey daddy. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, you can't drive your bike for a week. And this little girl looks up at me and says, if I can't ride my bike for a week, then you don't get to be my daddy. <laughs> really. Rest assured, she did not ride her bike for a week. I'm still her father. <laughs> and I find that story kind of funny, but... Don't we do the same thing? Don't we say to God, in our world as judge, don't we say, God, if my life doesn't turn out the way that I want, if I don't have the health that I would like, or the relationship that I would like, or the money that I would like, you don't get to be my God. If things don't go my way, I'm going to take over for myself. Don't we make ourselves into the judge? Isn't that what revenge is? Isn't that me saying that something hasn't gone my way? And now I'm going to take control? And I'm going to be the one who says how this goes, not God? And who cares about the consequences? Because I'm going to feel good for the next five minutes. I'm going to feel all puffed up and powered up and I did this and nobody messed with me. God shows us a different way, doesn't come back here. He says, on the contrary, in that moment when you want revenge, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. What? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Enemy has changed. It's not the nations around the Jews. It's the evil one who seeks to bring people to himself and tear us down and who's doing all kinds of damage in our culture and our families all the time. He said, those people who are being inflicted by that, who are acting out of anger toward you, who are acting in, in, in their brokenness, who've been hurt themselves, they're not the enemy. They're the mission. And you don't win them over by taking revenge. You win them over by surprising them with the gospel. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Our culture, our broken culture, does not know how to handle the gospel. They don't know what to do with hospitality. When someone's hurt us, they're expecting us to come back with them. And when we come back with good, it is so shocking, it will raise eyebrows like you wouldn't believe. What are you and what are you doing? Our church does a, a ministry to teen mothers. About 300 teen moms in Round Lake. And so a group of teen moms from our church got together and said, we need to do something better for them than was for us when we were teen moms. So they banded together and started reaching out to teen moms. Uh, we give away free diapers all the time. Diapers are like cash to a teen mother. And... We've met about 80 of those teen moms, about 50 of them have gotten involved in a program that we do. 
mentoring, that kind of stuff. Some of them come to church now. One of these young girls, 17 years old, 16 years old, has a baby herself, and then her her mom, who's 37, just died. So now she's raising her three younger brothers and sisters as well. And I remember she's talking to my wife about this, and she said, all my friends have abandoned me. I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to give my mom a funeral. And we saw this opportunity for us. We'd love to give them a funeral. I don't have any money. Free. I, don't have, I can't even feed people. We'll take care of it. Use our place. Use our food. We'll post. We'll clean. We'll take care of it. We'll do music. Whatever you need us to do, we're going to come around you. And I remember that day because the people who walked in our building, look, we, we have some tough folks in our place. My associate used to be a Latin king who uh, came to Christ in prison. So we have some former gang members in our place. But this crowd that walked in that day could come off the set of Sons of Anarchy. I mean, it was... Like, no one watches that show? Good. Don't. The test. Uh, strike that from the record. Like, there's a, like a court reporter's back there. Fight um, bats. Satanic tattoos. Um, just the leathers. All that kind of stuff. Uh, and just came in and mocked the crew that day. And came in and we just loved them. A bunch of our gals came out, guys came out, and they just loved them. And they went through a loss, and it was hard. And I remember one of the guys from there, who I think if I'd seen on the street, I would go the other way. He said, what is this place? This is the church. He said, can I come here? And I said, you mean like at night when I was here? He did. I could tell because we had cigarettes in the offering basket that week. Um, <laughs> overcoming someone who does not expect to be treated with kindness, someone who expects you to come back in vengeance again against them. He says, "Repay evil with good. Overcome evil with good." For anyone in your life who you've hurt. Or who's hurt you is expecting you to come back into some kind of feud. Maybe some of you are in those feuds right now. But Jesus says, following me is a different way. Following me is different because you leave justice up to God and we live out the gospel, not revenge. Revenge, let's be honest, is for self glory, isn't it? Revenge is all about us feeling good about us. I remember when I was in seminary, this is a terrible story, I don't usually tell it. I was in seminary and uh, my wife was also in school with me. And there were some people at school who didn't think my wife should be at school. Kind of older others, whatever. And so one night when I was at work and my wife was in the library, this guy came up to my wife in the library and started to tell her, you don't belong here. I don't like things like that. So my wife tells me this. So I go the next time we go to class, and I grab the guy out of class, and I take him outside. And I said, who do you think you are? I'm going to clean this up. It's we're in church. I said, if you come near my wife again, I will break you. 
Do you have a problem with what she's doing? Come talk to me. And you go inside, you apologize to her, and you sit down and never look at me again, right? Who was that for? Was that? Yeah. That was for me. That wasn't for my wife. That wasn't for justice. It was for me. I don't know who that guy is now. I don't remember his name. Probably a pastor of a church. <laughs> Can I call him up? Hey, let's do a food drive together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Revenge is for self glory, isn't it? But the gospel is for God's glory. What's the challenge here? He says, do something. Do something that's going to surprise you. That's what that heat burning coals on his head means. Do something that's going to surprise your enemy with the good of the gospel. And isn't the gospel a surprise to our culture? Are you kidding me? God loves me? Are you kidding me? My sin's not being held against me? And the entry path so many ways, so many times, is by interacting with Christ followers and seeing it be different than when you interact with the world. And isn't that what happens in the early church? Those who live under Roman oppression who didn't have a rebellion, but instead, even though they were being tortured and persecuted and killed for their faith, loved their enemies. And then there had been known of such being so sacrificial and loving that they won the culture. The Romans didn't lose a war. The Christians and the gospel took over the Roman Empire from the inside. The way of the Lord is it brings him glory. Not us. I had this come very close to me recently. I had a neighbor of mine. Um, he had had a rough past. He'd done a few years in prison for attempted murder. And uh, lived in my block. And his kids and my kids were friends. And I. In my head, thought this guy is going to be the first guy to get baptized at our church plant, and I would take him out to lunch and dig him out of trouble a lot. <laughs> Bail him out of prison a couple times, got his car out of hot. I'm like, I'm going to love this guy, you know. And uh, right as we're about to plant the new church, I find out that he's been telling people in our church planting group, our little team, that his daughter had this incurable disease, which was not good, and that he needed cash to help her. And he would take the money and begin. So I, amen, I heard about this, this has to stop. And he turns on me. He says, I'll kill you, I'll kill your family. I'll walk into your first service and yell at the top of my lungs that you're a child molester. Because I'll kill this in the ground and back off. You know what I want to do? Want to get that? Oh, really? You want to mess with me? But what happens then? What's the end of that? It's bad for me, it's bad for him. Cooler heads in our group prevailed. We took some steps to protect us. And look, man, I love you, but I can't have you here if you're not like I root for you. Want them good things, you want to pray for you. I still love you. Know, I love you and your family. But these kind of behaviors can't happen here. You're going to have to move along. You know, I'm sorry. You did. 
We end up in prison again. A couple weeks ago, I ran into him. And while he was in prison, another lady that we knew went in to visit him and let him go. Now, I don't believe it yet. But I know that if we brought the hammer down, the bat down, that there would be no path to the gospel there. But God, God still loves him. And wants to love him back to himself and use him for his kingdom and his purpose. What's going on in your life? Who's the person you'd like to take revenge against? What's that fantasy you're playing out? Where you're saying, you know what, this is not worked out the way I want. I'm taking this away from God and I'm doing it. I'm doing it my way and I'm going to get my satisfaction. Here's the challenge of the scripture. Iron Man's waiting to go there. You see the movie, his whole house gets blown up. Fiance is almost killed. Lots of death and destruction. And that's what happens. God's way says, give this to me and let me be glorified. Give this to me, I'll handle the justice. What is that for you today? Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe someone's hurt a child. Maybe there's a brother or a sister you haven't talked to in ten years, and all you can think about is revenge. God's way says, there's a better way. There's the way of Jesus. My challenge this morning is let God have his way. See what he does with you. See what he does in them and in you when you trust him with those toughest situations in your life. When you put him in charge, and you allow him to have his way, it'll be the best for you for his glory. We pray that for this morning. Father God, I thank you for the, this church. I thank you for its long history of loving you and serving you and being yours. I thank you for its committed and faithful leadership. Lord, I pray that you would raise this church up and continue to use it for the gospel make a difference in this town and be a bright light and Huntley and all places around you. But Father, I know you have work to do. You have work to do and some who are sitting here today who are carrying around that burden of wanting revenge. Father, I pray that burden would be trusted to you. Give it to you so that you may be glorified, so that we may grow, so that our trust in you would flourish. <coughs> Father, I pray for each individual today who's hearing that and knows that you have work to do, they would take that step of faith and trust to do things your way. I pray that for myself. And Lord, we ask that we remember the mission you've given us to overcome evil with good. To bring the gospel to our broken culture and bring glory to your name you so richly deserve. I pray this in the mighty and matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.